We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show... We'll be talking MLS Decision Day, Ronaldo Fenomeno, Frozen Grapes, Meg. Has Messi uh, versus Ronaldo, that would be Cristiano Ronaldo, changed? Faux Denim, San Diego's new brand, four Americans in Italy, playing out of the back, handball, Burhalter, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Monday, October 23rd in the year 2023? Doing well. Today's show is a blockbuster. That was an incredible list of topics you rattled off. Well, you know, I, I put this together before we go on air, and I always uh, am trying to figure out what to tease and what not to tease. And that's why I always say, and much more. And yeah, this, this one kind of ran on a little bit long, but it gives you a little idea of what you can expect. And, you know, as you said, it is, it is chocked full of goodness, soccer goodness for you on this or recording on this uh, Monday. Uh, have you watched anything, my friend? I did go see Killers of the Flower Moon, which Ooh. is a new Martin Scorsese film starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. Oh, my goodness. You know uh, getting this? grave reviews. Yes. Uh, and what do you give it? Thumbs up? It, well, or no? it's, uh, for people that don't know, it's based on this excellent David Grand book that came out in 2017. It's about this forgotten chapter in American history, this Native American tribe, the Osage, who purchased land in Oklahoma, settled there, and then discovered oil under their land, became crazy rich, but then all started dying under mysterious circumstances. It became the first big case handled by the Bureau of Investigation, which was a precursor to the FBI. A young J. Edgar Hoover oversaw the case. Uh, terrific book and a terrific movie based on the book. I thought Scorsese did an excellent job here. Now, I will warn you, it's three and a half hours long. But three and a half hours of goodness? I mean, I mean... You know, length is is not a problem if uh, if as long as it's quality. Yeah. Did you, it, find, it, did you find yourself wandering or or looking at your watch? It's longer than all the Air Buds combined. <laughs> uh, but I would say three and a half hours of goodness. Okay. Uh, it, I thought it flowed nicely. Uh, the the length was justified, and so no issues. I was reading a uh, a write up of it, and um, just to give you perspective, the Taylor Swift movie that is in the the era's tour movie made more money than uh than that so you know art is in the eye of the beholder uh commerce though is pretty clearly in taylor swift's uh, corner speaking of that i was talking with my son this morning um 
and uh, he knows that we talk about things that we watched. And uh, a couple nights ago, I found myself uh, watching Meg. You know what Meg is? It's uh, it's this movie that came out. I don't know, probably a few years ago about the megalodon, megalodon or whatever. Uh, the the big shark. You still have no I idea. I actually what I'm don't know about. what you're talking about. So. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a adventure action, deep sea, uh, I guess slash horror in that there is this shark that is, uh, prehistoric in size and terrorizes people. Now I looked it up it, cause this is just complete, I guess, fluff. There's not necessarily anything traditionally artistic, uh, romantic. Uh, it's not going to win any awards. Cost $130 million to make, made $550 million. Uh, and it is, it is wonderful, just kind of fluff. I, I also have found out that there's a Meg 2, evidently. So they continued, uh, they continued on. So, and it is cheesy in the best possible cheesiness. And then it gives you an hour and a half. It's not your three and a half hour Scorsese epic type of uh, situation here. Like I said, nobody is winning any awards relative to the acting. But it was good. I, I, I enjoyed it. Now, I also gave you a homework assignment the past few days, yes. and it sounds yes. like you followed through on it. Yes. You know, so normally we get through this, um, this the top of this show, and we, we actually had some response from people that say this is the part of the show that they like the most. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but usually we get through and get to the, uh, don't bore us, get to the chorus, get to the soccer part of it. But in this instance, I want to kind of spread this out a little bit because you had sent me the link, and this is available on uh, YouTube. Uh, of the documentary of Ronaldo, phenomenal uh, Ronaldo, and it goes through. It doesn't go through his whole childhood or anything. It really starts in '94, where he was an unused substitute, winning the World Cup in in USA '94. Then it goes into '98, where uh, he famously lost the uh, the World Cup, and then goes into all of his really really serious injuries. Uh, and then finishes kind of the redemption of winning the World Cup four years later in 2002. Is that a good synopsis of it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. Uh, keep in mind that this was um, done with the in the association with FIFA. Uh, if I if I saw that correctly at the beginning, and this was something that he was involved with. And so, in the same way that we talked about the De- the Beckham documentary, if the major figure is involved, it, it's not. It doesn't preclude it from being great and dealing with uh, interesting and controversial subjects, but you just kind of have to go with, go with the understanding that there is going to be a shading and a, and a bias. I think ultimately for me, what, what I come down to on this documentary, Mossy, is if you are going to deal with a controversial subject, and the controversial subject is before the game against France in the, in the World Cup final, he we come to find out he was not on the 11 in terms of the initial 11 that was given. And then he gets on the 11 and we come to find out that the way that they explained it was that he had suffered a seizure before the game, went to the hospital, was cleared, then went to the stadium and played fair enough. But in the moment where he and uh, Roberto Carlos are sitting in a, on the sofa, Roberto Carlos, his roommate talking about this this incredible dramatic and scary moment we didn't un, we didn't get any more understanding about ultimately what happened in that moment this is a 3 minute seizure from a professional player who had never experienced anything before 
that ultimately is chalked up to um, a, a panic attack, basically. And then, by the way, if it was all about stress and pressure, after that, the documentary goes into the incredible press and stress that he was on after that moment, and yet nothing else. And from a medical perspective, this is a young, healthy person that had a three-minute seizure, evidently, in his hotel room next to Roberto Carlos, and the, the medical staff came in. And then never before or after has this happened again. And they just said, they just chalked it up to, up oh, three-minute seizure. But... 25 years later, there still isn't a definitive medical explanation, which is bizarre. Uh, but yeah, I, but, I don't know. It's but a, you also, but you, and so let's take, so that's, that's part of it. Secondly, and this is the, you know, the good part, you see how players are treated differently and have to be treated differently. It is, it, it is not a, um, an equal type of playing field when it comes to how managers, coaches treat players. And time and time again, you are seeing, because it's a star-studded cast in terms of players that are talking about uh, Ronaldo. And they will time and time again, Christian Vieri and others, time and time again say, you cannot treat him the way that you treat other players. Just let him do what he's going to do. He's a jokester. He's always smiling. He does not need to run. He does not need to defend. He just needs to do what he does better than anybody in history, which is the magical moments that are going to win you games. I was happy to see Romario on there because those two have had kind of a love-hate relationship through the years, uh, but he was on there speaking very positively about Ronaldo. Uh, the, the guy that was kind of left out a little bit was Rivaldo. Because they, they talk about how in the build-up to 98, it was all about Ronaldo and Romario and Romario getting hurt on the eve of the tournament and how that put even more pressure on Ronaldo. And then they, they frame it as if, well, in 2002, he had Ronaldinho there to take some of the pressure off him. And so that helped. But really, Rivaldo was kind of that other guy on that team. It was a trio, but I would say the pecking order went Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho. And you saw certainly in all the goals they scored, Rivaldo involved in most of them, but they never actually mentioned him by name or he didn't contribute to the documentary. So he was the one guy that was kind of left out. But and we'll, and we'll finish it here. But if you watch it, not only is there the drama off the scenes, but just incredible footage of this magician with the ball and his ability to shift his weight. And when it goes into the injury part of it, the, you know, the really serious knee injuries that he had and that he came back from, then he got hurt again and he had more surgery. They talked to the surgeon and all that. Um, it's it just a, a wonderful body, literally a body in the things that he did, the way that he thought about the games. I mean, there's, there's one point where he's playing for Brazil and you'll see this if you watch the documentary where he hits a pass and it might've been qualifying or whatever, where you can tell at the very last millisecond he hits it, I think, it to, uh, to Romario, whoever. It, but the very last millisecond, he changes what he was going to do. And the adjustment in that millisecond makes all the difference in the world. And it's just amazing of these snapshots that he takes and then the physical ability to do what he did. It's a friendly against Mexico in 97. Brazil go. won 4-0. I actually remember that game fairly well. Yeah, I I'm glad you liked it because... Uh, I'm, I'm biased. He's sure. my favorite human being. That 2002 World Cup final is that happiest day of my life. So to me, this was crack. This was like incredible to watch. But I wanted to see sort of an unbiased... Uh, but you've painting. met him before, right? 
I have not. As you oh, know, come on. Uh, we got to make this happen. We got to make this happen, people. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and during the 2018 World Cup in Moscow one night, <laughs> the whole Fox crew went out to dinner. I chose not to go. And then you went to the same restaurant he was at and you all met him and took pictures with him. And of course, I, the person that would have appreciated it the most, was not there. <laughs> all right. Well, that, that's, what we, uh, that's, that's what we have to do. Uh, should we light this candle? Let's do it. Well, thank you for indulging us for a couple more minutes because I know you wanted to talk about it. And like I said, it has to do with soccer. So we're already off to the, uh, the races here. All right, listen, uh, we come off of MLS decision day. So should we start there? Yes. Okay. Uh, so the regular season is in the books. The playoffs are set. We'll begin in the East. Uh, the last two playoff spots were claimed by the Red Bulls and by Charlotte. Uh, if you're watching us, you can see the bracket. Uh, Charlotte advanced thanks to a 1-0 home win over Inter Miami, despite Lionel Messi playing all 90 minutes, Vargas scored the only goal. So congratulations to them. The Red Bulls off to the postseason for the 14th straight campaign. They advanced thanks to a 1-0 away win over Nashville. John Tolkien converting a stoppage time penalty, much to Montreal's chagrin. You know, it's interesting. You usually only see that footage of a team huddling together and watching the end of another game if they get the outcome they wanted because we like to show on TV those jubilant celebrations. This was the other side of it. You saw the Montreal players. They had lost 2-1 away to Columbus, so their fate rested on the Red Bulls result. They were all watching it, and then when Tolkien converts the penalty, the Montreal players, nobody says a word to each other. They all just get up and scatter. It was... <laughs> Listen, and, and you're, you're pointing out something that uh, that I referenced this morning. I got up a little ornery today. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring this up. Okay, <laughs> so it you know, listen, not for nothing, but there there sure was a lot of drama and emotion and fun and consequence on MLS Decision Day for a league that does not have promotion relegation, and uh, I think that that has to be said. And, and to your point, whether we were watching. We were, we were watching people watch television and there was something dramatic in that, uh, in that moment. So uh, for, for all of those, you know, that are out there that, that like to crap on MLS uh, and, and I guess American sports in general for not having promotion relegation. And look, I can, I can argue for promotion relegation and I can absolutely see the benefits, um, and the positives when it comes to that. But as I've said time and time again, I don't need it to enjoy my sports. I don't need it to enjoy my soccer. And here's a case in point where it was, it was fun. It was back and forth and it was constantly chaining, uh, changing. Shout out to the, uh, the, the folks at Apple. I know we've talked about Apple a lot this uh, year, but I thought that they did a, did a really got, a good job of clarifying and telling the story that was obviously changing with each and every goal back and, uh, back and forth. And, you know, as we said, it was, it was fun to watch. It was compelling viewing on this last day of the season where, while we don't have promotion relegation in Major League Soccer, you do have that line of demarcation between success and failure. And yes, there are consequences to failing in a league like this. And you need look, uh, look no further than, you know, whether it's already it's happened when it comes to Hendrickson and Rooney and Frazier and Heath and Bradley and Savarese. And the list is going to continue because there will be more consequences from failure in terms of coaching positions and players that will have fewer opportunities last year, uh, next year because, or maybe no opportunities when it comes to Major League Soccer. Their contracts aren't picked up. Uh, they are traded elsewhere. They don't have uh, as many options as they would have had they played on what would be considered a successful type of uh, successful type of team. Yeah, you went down the pro rel rabbit hole this morning. I noticed that that made you 
the second most hated person on X behind only Francis Arthur. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> we heard from Speaking her. Speaking of messy. Yeah. After we called, uh, after we called that her That makes out. me so happy, by the way. Oh, my people goodness. People are going after her. All right. So listen, uh, should, so, we, should so, okay. we go down this? And, All right. Uh, so so the, that sets up the wild card game in the East. Single elimination is the Red Bulls hosting Charlotte. Yeah, and we, we talked about Charlotte making up uh, on these last two games. And it was a wonderful scene, by the way. Uh, 61,000 people. And yes, Messi was playing. Messi was playing on turf. Messi was playing in an MLS game. And what would be his last game of the 2023 MLS uh, season. But for Charlotte, there was desperation. And there was a recognition that they needed something. They needed a moment. They got it in front of their home crown. And well, yes, a lot of those 60,000 people, uh, uh, 60,000 folks there were there to kind of catch a glimpse of Messi. And he provided a couple of moments, but ultimately no goal. The home team won. And I think that that, while you're mining this Messi mania, there also, I think, is going to be, if there already isn't, a recognition that he's on the opposition. And in this case, he's on the team that is keeping you from getting into the playoffs. And so this was, this was a good result, not just for Charlotte. I think this was a good result and a wonderful kind of scene for Major League Soccer. Listen, there's going to be plenty of wins that involve Messi going forward uh, in 2024. But in this moment, Charlotte gets the best of Miami and they get to go through. So the winner of that wildcard Red Bull-Charlotte game would face Cincinnati in round one. Round one is best of three. And then each subsequent round goes back to single elimination. The 4-5 matchup, Philadelphia-New England, they just met on decision day. The Revs won 2-1. Philadelphia, we know last year, came as close to winning MLS Cup as you can without winning it. Uh, might this be the year for Jim Curtin and company? It, it might. And and I know that there was some criticism out there at, at, at the end of this MLS regular season about the structure of the MLS playoffs. First off, it's actually nothing new. Uh, if you know your MLS history, three-game series have have occurred in the past. As a matter of fact, yours truly uh, played in that uh, in, in that time. So this is this is a... Um, a return, if you will, to something that has existed in the past. Now, nobody in this generation has played in this. So the strategy going forward is going to be interesting to see. The other thing, the other phenomenon is teams playing against opposition numerous times, coming into the, you know, at the end of the regular season, playing against teams, and then continuing that uh, into, uh, into the playoffs. Now, that's nothing that's just the way that it all worked out. So if you're pissed off about that, then win more games and, you know, get to a different place when it comes to who you are, you were going, who you were going to play the Philadelphia union. Um, and, and maybe I guess you could say the revolution too, but both of these teams obviously are good, but they're kind of backing into the MLS playoffs. And we've talked before about having that. Yes, there is a, a, a stop and start and there's almost this new lease on life. But if you're coming in, heading in the wrong direction, either from a physical perspective in terms of injuries or just the way that you're playing and the results that you're getting, that could be problematic going forward. Again, a reminder, uh, success in the regular season does not always, as a matter of fact, the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, does not translate into success in the, uh, in the, post, uh, in the postseason. The Supporters' Shield winners rarely go on to parlay that into MLS Cup. Uh, the 2-7 matchup, Orlando City, Nashville, this Duncan McGuire can't stop scoring for Orlando. Two more on decision day against Toronto. Orlando looking like a strong team. And his, uh, you know, his goal that he, uh, he scored, it had, you know, was very Harry Kane reminiscent uh, of his game, uh, of his goal earlier this, 
this week or last week in the international window where he just had the just the slightest of touches. And I know from a center back perspective, you see the ball and you say, I, I got this one. I got it. And yet then in that moment, you can see the wheels turning and saying, you know what? I'm not going to get there. And not only that, but my momentum is going to take me in a place where I can't recover if and when the ball and the player gets past me. And oftentimes in that case, the defender just decides, you know what? I'm just going to shut it down and I'm going to take the player out if the ball gets past me and I'll just take whatever punishment ultimately is. Uh, neither the ball nor the player was taken out. And Maguire is, is well on his way to stardom in the goals that he's scoring and the way that he is scoring these goals. The 3-6 matchup is a fun one. Columbus-Atlanta. Now, a couple of notes here. Tiago Amada got himself sent off on decision day against Cincinnati, so he'll be suspended for the first match of that best-of-three series. The other thing worth noting here is Jakumakis scored twice on decision day against Cincinnati, and when Paul Carr finished crunching the numbers, Jakumakis is your 2023 MVP? Yes, congratulations to Atlanta United's uh, Yorgos Jakumakis. The uh, or my 2023 MLS MVP, 17 goals in his 27 appearances, uh, 14 different games with a goal. And for those that have followed, you know that that is my criteria when it comes to the MVP. And actually, then this is important, three different games with two goals, zero penalties taken, didn't take any penalties. Uh, and obviously he is on a playoff team. Now, he those 14 different games that he scored a goal in, that actually tied him with Mr. White up there in Vancouver. Uh, and so I had to find a tiebreaker. And so Paul Carr and I went into it and thought about it. And, you know, we said, all right, well, let's, how many multiple goal games? Because if, if the most valuable thing is walking on the field and already recognizing that you have a goal and you are winning one nothing, then I guess the second most valuable thing would be walking on the field and recognizing that you're winning 2 nothing. And so he has three different games with two goals. And so that just edges him out. So congratulations, uh, Congratulations to him. And so they will be traveling to the Columbus crew. But like you said, Amaya, a, a wonderful player and just a rush of blood, whatever it is, a kick out. And as benign as it may look, you, you can't do that. And you could see he was frustrated. He was frustrated. And that's kind of what defenders like to do, especially in those, those diagonal runs that come in front of you or behind you. A step forward or a step back can impede the progress of that forward. I remember doing this years ago. I remember doing that to Josh Wolf. And I remember he turned around. He was really young. It was, it was, he was early in his career. And he turned around. And just the expression on his face, he couldn't fathom that that could possibly be done because uh, he was making a diagonal run across. And I just stepped in front and he clam clambered into me and I was much bigger than him. And so he fell <laughs> down and he you know, got up saying, what the hell? And you know, basically I gave him the welcome to the bigs type of uh, look, and then we moved on. But it, it happens constantly. And in this case, now, because you couldn't control yourself in that moment, you're going to put your Atlanta United in uh, a difficult position because he's been wonderful this year. Do we know who Paul Carr's MVP choice is, by the way? Because he might indulge you with all this, but have a whole different take on how to do it. Oh, I know he rolls his eyes. Although he, he was really excited for the potential mind-blowing uh, result if White had won up there in Vancouver. He was cheering for that. But uh, you know what? I will ask him because, he, like I said, he's just a, if you don't follow him, follow him. He's a wonderful, wonderful mind, uh, thinks about the game in a wonderful way. And when it comes to you know, statistics and information about players and history, 
um, he's he's phenomenal. So I'll, I'll ask him because I, w- I would be interested to see ultimately what he uh, what he says. Or maybe he has a different criteria. Some people have criteria. It's just the eye test, and some people actually have numbers. It sounds like Lucho Acosta is going. Yeah, to yeah, win. he's going to win. Yeah. Uh, we transition to the Western Conference, and you can take a look at that bracket if you're watching us. Uh, the big development on decision day. Uh, SKC beat Minnesota 3-1. Johnny Russell scored twice, so SKC make the playoffs. Portland drops out. They lost at home to Houston. Uh, so the wild card 8-9 matchup in the West, SKC hosting San Jose. I thought the Port- Portland result to Houston was the most dif- disappointing. I thought uh, interim manager Miles Joseph had them heading in the right direction, and they laid a huge, huge egg in front of their home fans right there at the worst possible moment. And they didn't. It could have been worse. Uh, now, to be fair, and we've talked about Ben Olsen and what he has done with, uh, with Houston. Also, Sporting KC, okay? Um, you know, they came out and crushed the loons. I think that, and I haven't talked to Peter Vermes, but I think when he looks back at what he has done this year, this might be one of his proudest years coaching a team. And keep in mind, first 10 games without a win, lots of people, including myself and others, saying, hey, it might have run its course. Might need to make a change here. And this might, uh, like I said, be a situation where you're not going to get a, quote unquote, uh, I guess a better time, worse time in terms of results to do it. And they worked through it, and they got back, and they got healthy, and the ownership stuck with them. And look, he's a legend, so sticking with him isn't isn't crazy and out of order here. But congratulations to Sporting KC and uh, Peter Vermes, given the beginning of the season that they had. I right. like I like Peter, but I will say they finished eighth out of fourteen teams in the West. I don't want to overstate it, uh, but hey, as you wow. said, making the playoffs is the line of demarcation in MLS. So faint praise there boy, boy. Wow. <laughs> so the, the winner of that uh wild card round uh will then face uh st louis um and then the other matchups in round one which again best of three the four five is houston taking on rsl uh by the way program note we with those playoff games happening midweek oh, oh sorry play-in games what are we calling uh, wild card rounds whatever yeah. we're, we're calling them right these one-off games we will be taping on thursday um, in terms of a reaction to that. So it'll, it'll show up in your feed and everything, but we wanted to get those, uh, those games in. And those are going to be interesting. And those are going to be you know, full of drama uh, and pressure and obviously high stakes just to get into the opportunity to then play the, uh, the round of, uh, I guess, the first round of the playoffs, which would be best of three. Um, and then the uh, 2-7 matchup in the West is Seattle-Dallas. This was interesting. Seattle beat St. Louis on decision day despite Lodero not starting, Rudy Diaz not playing, and they leapfrog LAFC, who we'll get to in a minute. So they're two LAFCs, three. That could be big if those two meet down the road. And they went into Seattle, uh, I'm mean, sorry, St. to Louis, uh, yeah. St. Louis uh, and did that. So, and, and, and FC Dallas, who they will now play, by the way, I, I was, as a former player for the Galaxy, working for the Galaxy, I thought it was, I was embarrassed uh, by the performance. And it's all fine and well to say, you know, we have nothing to play for or anything. But, you know, these are people that are buying tickets to watch you play. You know, Ricky Pouj was left out, and I guess you're protecting him from, from getting hurt for the future in what is, quote-unquote, a meaningless game. But either you're a team or you're not, you know? And in this case, you're a team that charges money for people to come to your stadium. 
And to put on that type of performance, I just thought it was incredibly embarrassing. And what has been an embarrassing year. And so I don't know if there's going to be changes. I don't know ultimately what they are going to do. But as far as 2023 uh, is for the Galaxy, it is one that they will happily forget and move on from. The 3-6 matchup, LAFC Vancouver. They just played on decision day. 1-1. Ryan Gold missed two penalties in that one. Buanga scored his 20th of the campaign. He is your golden boot winner. Interesting matchup here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as confident in LAFC as I have been in the past. And obviously, look, you, you ride the hot hand, and there is none hotter now than Boanga and what he, is, uh, what he is doing. I still see them getting through against uh, the game. So it goes home, away, home, right? I mean, I the higher seed hosts the first one, and then you go on the road for the second one, and then, uh, and then back home if, uh, if, if needed. I think LAFC ultimately is a better team despite the, the dramatic improvement of the uh, Vancouver Whitecaps. And I, I should say something also in general when it comes to, to MLS, because, you know, we started off talking about, you know, the evergreen types of topics. Well, you know, here you have a situation where, you know, someone like uh, Houston made dramatic, a, a dramatic leap from one season to another. Um, let's see who else, San Jose, these types of teams. And again, because of the structures of, of the league, and you can poo-poo it, you can agree or not agree, but ultimately I think everybody has to admit that because of the structure of the league, and I know it's changed over the years, the ability to do that still exists. And what we are talking about in October of a season relative to the previous October can be very, very different and dramatically different. And I think that's a good thing. What else? My favorite matchup in round one, I'm still going to say Columbus-Atlanta, although Amada being suspended for that first game is a bummer, but something about that matchup I find juicy. Yeah, so he would miss the home game and then be able to play in the away game, right? No, no, he misses the first game is in Columbus. Oh, it's in Columbus, sorry. In Columbus, he'll miss... Then they got to win that second game, I would think, and then take their chances on the, uh, the third game. And it's not as if you just give that first game away. This is still Atlanta. They're still a good team. They got my MVP playing. Yeah, I was about so. to say. You beat me to the point. Oh, my goodness. Great minds comment. think alike, my yeah. friend. Yeah, all right. So if, so if I'm going down this, all right, I think wild card, the Red Bulls. John Tolkien, by the way, was wonderful in his interview. And, the, you know, the poor little Red Bulls and everybody hates us. And again, nobody wants to be the favorite. Everybody wants to be the underdog. All right, fine. Um, I think Red Bulls beat Charlotte. I think. Oh, goodness. Let's see. Um, so who? Do, so the winner of Red Bulls and Charlotte. Cincinnati. Played, like Cincinnati. Okay. Then I think they lose. It doesn't matter who it is. I think they lose to Cincinnati in three games. Ah, Philadelphia and New England. This one's a... Man, um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with Philadelphia. Orlando and Nashville. I just think Orlando is playing really, really well right now. So I'm going to go with Orlando. And I still think Atlanta finds a way past the crew. When it comes to the wild card over there in the West, I think Sporting KC beats the Earthquakes then they play St. Louis, right? I think Sporting KC beats St. Louis. Uh, I think that Houston take Real Salt Lake in three. I think that the Sounders take Dallas in three. And I think LAFC beat uh, Whitecaps in three. Would you differ in any of those, do you think? I don't do predictions. That's true, you don't do predictions. Um, And then who would be your top three contenders to win MLS Cup, let's say? 
contenders to win MLS Cup. Yeah. Um, I think. Oof. All right. So of the of the teams that are kind of coming out of nowhere, but just you feel there's something weird going on, it would be either be Orlando or Houston. And if I had to go one way or the other, I would go Houston. Of the kind of OGs that have been around that just kind of know how to win in uh, in in the in the playoffs and in MLS playoffs, that would be like Seattle or Philadelphia. And between the two, yeah, just not quite sold on on Philadelphia. So I'd go Seattle between the two, and then one more. Give me. Let me give me one. I'm going to give you one more. Kind of, and then I'll go LAFC. Yeah, those are the. Uh, yeah, those are the three. So you, so you think a West team is yeah. winning MLS? Cup. I think a West team is winning. Yeah, there you but have you it. But you don't do predictions, so no. you know when I'm wrong, it'll be all come down on me. It'll just be a big <laughs> old avalanche on me. All right, cool. Well, it's uh, it's fun. Like we said, we will be uh, talking to you later in the week after those play-in um, wild card games happen, and then we'll have our final four matchups, uh, four different matchups that have the uh, three-game series. Uh, okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, our European recap and our Champions League preview. So don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's take a little uh, European recap. There was all sorts of stuff, so much soccer to watch this weekend and so much soccer that had American influence, but uh, none more so than over there in Italia. Should we start over in Syria? Yeah, we talked about this. It was a historic occasion for American soccer. AC Milan hosted Juventus. All four Americans started Pulisic and Musa for AC Milan, McKinney and Wea for Juventus. Unfortunately, it was somewhat spoiled by uh, AC Milan defender uh, Chow picking up a red card in the first half for bringing down Moise Keane. Milan was forced to make a sub at that point, and the player they chose to take out was Pulisic. So we only got about 40 minutes or so of the four Americans on the field. I should mention, by the way, Greg Berhalter was in the house for this game. So he, he was excited to watch all his players in this one, but he only got to watch Pulisic for about 40 minutes. It wasn't a great game. Uh, Juventus ended up winning, taking advantage of that red card. Locatelli scored the only goal in the second half. So 1-0 Juve victory. Your thoughts? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, so you, as you mentioned, Greg Berhalter was in the house, and evidently it's his first time he's ever been there. So this is, an, a, a, like you said, a historic type of seminal moment for American soccer with four players, with four of his national team players actually starting. Um, so take away the actual result. Just to see that graphic and to see that tactical, that was pretty cool. And for, for an old guy like myself that's been around, um, I think it says a lot about the talent that the U.S. has talent that the u.s is producing and the potential and again the shift in mindset as i said before you know i'm I'm not even close to the level of these players uh these americans that are playing over there right now but i had to play well and star in a world cup in order to get an opportunity to play in syria and i love the fact that american players are now seen uh for their value and their quality and the credibility is increasing so much so that, like you said, two of these storied clubs in a huge, huge game have the confidence to start two on each side and four in total. It, uh, it warms the cockles of my old redheaded heart to uh, see something like that. Greg Berhalter uh, also, I know, I know people give him a lot about his, uh, you know, the shoe thing and all that. And I know at times maybe it's cringy or whatever, but if you're going to ask him about his shoes on live television, uh, you know, don't complain about the fact if he if he uh, answers and he uh, talks about what's uh, what's going on. But it 
then was quickly deflated through no fault of the American players and Christian Pulisic come, comes off. And so the soccer gods conspired to rain on our American parade um, uh, over there. And ultimately, it not only rained on the American parade, but it kind of changed the dynamic, as it often does, of the actual playing on the field. And I guess if, you know, I guess... Wea ultimately comes out shining the best, I guess, of them all. If you're going to do a a power ranking type of thing of the uh, of the players on the field, we go back to Friday in Germany. I thought this was a really good sign. Dortmund beat Werder Bremen one 0 Julian Brandt scored the only goal. Uh, Gio just three days after playing 45 minutes for the U.S., so the Dortmund coach could have used that as an excuse not to play him. He came on pretty early in the second half, played almost 30 minutes. So to me, that shows that he's very much back in the mix there. And I think it also kind of is, you know, proof of concept of what Greg Berhalter had kind of wanted. And again, this gets back to the relationship um, and hopefully a positive relationship that the United States Soccer Federation uh, has with the leadership at the different clubs where Americans play. And Greg Berhalter made it very clear publicly, and don't think for a second that that wasn't by design, to state that their goal, their goal as the national team, was not just to get uh, Gio Reyna in to win games, but also to have him play and to send him back in better shape, not just physical shape, but just shape in general, to be able to help Dortmund. And that's what you, that's what you ultimately want to hear if you're a club, because you are releasing this player. You want to know that they are going to a situation that is going to help them that's going to send back a player that physically and mentally is in a better place and i think they did and i think that that showed in the confidence that they had to after all the travel to come right back put him on the field and again he you know he didn't wasn't the best player on the field but he he looked completely comfortable and he looked like a player that if you started him would have no problem with the pace of the game and the level of the game or the ability out there that would be the next step, him starting a game for Dortmund. Uh, maybe in the Champions League. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Leverkusen and Stuttgart, by the way, keep winning. They're still 1-2 and two ahead of Bayern and Dortmund. Stuttgart hammered Union Berlin 3-0. Brendan Aronson did not play. Union Berlin near the relegation zone. Terrible start to the season for them. The uh, big one in England, uh, Chelsea-Arsenal. Chelsea led 2-0 with about 15 minutes left. Playing great. Stamford Bridge rocking. Headed for the statement win, which is going to underline their recent progress. And then their Spanish goalkeeper, Sanchez, with a bad giveaway. Declan Rice one times it in. Declan Rice made that ease, look easier than it was. That was actually an impressive one-time finish. Um, that shifted the momentum. Arsenal started attacking. A few minutes later, Trossard equalizes. So 2-2 the final. A couple of notes on this game. English commentators have this compulsion with making every VAR decision inherently controversial. There was absolutely no doubt about that Saliba red card right. penalty, uh, which Chelsea converted for their first goal. Uh, Lee Dixon saw one replay and said, yep, that's going to be a penalty. The check was very quick. No Arsenal player complained. And yet, Peter Drury, the rest of the match, couldn't resist every time he alluded to that decision, saying, oh, that's going to lead to a lot of conversation. What conversation is that going to lead to? The defender stuck out his arm and blocked a header that was going directly on goal. I don't understand, but they they feel like any VAR decision is inherently controversial. Uh, our friend uh, Robbie Musto over there also, uh, although they although he uh, the, the two Robbies weren't working this weekend, so he was obviously watching the game. He also thought it was weak and was apoplectic about the situation. I he thought him. it was the wrong call. Yeah, 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 yeah. He uh, you no know, they because 
in the heading of the ball, right? You go up and you, you're, it's just, it goes back to, and I, I can, I can understand this, a difficulty in understanding what the human body traditionally and naturally does in moments. My counter argument to that is that what we consider natural and I guess would be traditional in terms of the form of the human body in a soccer game has changed. And not for nothing. <laughs> this is a game that's based on kicking the ball, all right? So inherently, just, just in, the, in the premise of the game, it's unnatural what people are doing. Having said that, we have players now that play with their arms behind their, their back. That is now a new natural position for a player to be in. Uh, I, again, I, I, I thought this is a penalty. It's not, even, it's not even a question right now that this is a penalty, and the VAR is there to check it. That's what they always do, and it was. And again, this is not a world soccer problem. This is an England problem, to your point. Anyway. I mean, I didn't even think that was one of those. Well, in today's game, letter of the law, I in any era, in any interpretation of that rule, that's a clear penalty to me. I mean, if that's not a penalty, then we're basically reduced to short of Luis Suarez versus Ghana, then nothing's a handball if that's not a handball. It's a handball. <laughs> okay, well, I, I guess I, I thought nobody could have disagreed with so, that, but I guess Robbie so, must have. Well, here's Robbie. He said, and I want to make sure that I quote him for um, They said, look at uh, Mudrick's uh, arms, too away from the body as he stretches to head it. Totally expected position from both players reaching to get to the ball first. So it's harsh. Well, look, if anybody's watched the modern game, it's, it's Ravi Musto. And I'm not, it, it, um, look, he, I'm not criticizing him. I'm just, I just agree with the way that he looked at this particular play. I think he does an incredible job. I love watching uh, what, uh, what he does on air and what, what, he, what he talks about. doesn't mean I can't disagree with it here, but he has seen plenty of it. And he, maybe more so than anybody out there, I think will admit that the game has fundamentally changed. And we can grumpy old man until the, until the cows come home, but you in that moment have to recognize that if I'm going to go for the ball in the air and my arms are out wide, and I think he would probably counter and said, but you can't go for the ball in the air. All right, fine. Then adjust, adapt, or you know what? You become extinct in this modern, in this modern day. And I also think that, <clears throat> that he would probably say, well, the letter of the law and the way that the law is written has to be clarified. And I'm all for that uh, going forward and making it much more clear. As I've said before, I think it should just be, if it hits your arm, if it hits your hand, regardless of any type of intent or not, it's a foul and go from there. Uh, second point. Uh, I mentioned that Sanchez, the Chelsea goalkeeper, had a bad giveaway that led to Arsenal's first goal. Yes. Uh, Arsenal's Spanish goalkeeper, David Raya, had an even worse giveaway that would, he was lucky didn't lead to a, a Chelsea goal, Cole Palmer squandering the opportunity. Uh, how much longer is Arteta going to be stubborn here? Because I just don't see it with this guy. To me, he looks very shaky. The second Chelsea goal came about, Mudrik had a cross that he mishit that looped in uh i know lee dixon said it was unlucky on raya's part you can't really blame him he, it was kind of a david seaman ronaldinho moment but nevertheless i, I don't, don't you agree that guy just looks so shaky back there in every facet of the game uh, i did not have that big of an issue with ramsdale that to me i don't see how that's been an upgrade but arteta made that call and he's going to stick with it and i don't know it could end up costing arsenal two words mossy what's that matt turner <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, uh, you know, our good friend, uh, Ian Dark, 
uh, was again, like, like Ravi, uh, apoplectic as, as to how in this moment, because not only did it, you know, the, the goalkeeping errors affect the game, but from a Chelsea perspective, you know, this was in the palm of their hand to your point. They were playing well. Everyone was feeling it's like, wow, this is incredible. This is, you know, Chelsea on the ascendancy and everything's happening. And in that moment, in such a crucial moment, uh, not clearing the ball and living to fight another day. Uh, you know, Ian Dark was like, you know, why do coaches think that go- goalkeepers can play, uh, play the game or something like that? Well, my point to him is because this entire generation of goalkeepers has been coached to value and to prioritize possession and to think first about playing out of the back. And, you know, that, like we said, that I guess it would be antiquated kicking the long ball in order to really pressure and to quote unquote, be safe is, is a relic of the past. And this risk reward that everybody does on any sporting field in the modern game, it's changed and it's changed to fit this new definition of what romantic soccer, of what quality soccer, of what good soccer is, what beautiful soccer is. And so in a certain way, I can't, I can't blame them. I can't blame these goalkeepers for doing what has been drilled into them from an early age of being that outlet of playing out of the back of being another member of the back four or the back three and the requirement of you being able to play in those situations with your feet. And then when it doesn't go wrong and I was actually, it was, it was interesting to hear, um, I can't remember who was talking after the game, but they talked about the fact that in the modern game, this is what it is. And we, as fans that have kind of gone back and forth between or, 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 you know, straddled this era of change, it's very difficult. But this next generation, they won't see anything necessarily wrong with it because they won't have been exposed to goalkeepers that only save the ball. And if and when there is any risk, like I said, hit the ball out of the stadium, hit the ball to the other end, concede possession. And say, you know what? I'm not going to die on this romantic hill. I'm going to live to fight another day. Uh, incidentally, uh, next weekend, Barcelona, Real Madrid. So on our next pod, we'll look ahead to that game. So Ooh. we're not mentioning La Liga today, but uh, the spotlight will be in Spain next weekend. Uh, before that, we have match day three of the UEFA Champions League this week. Uh, one team in desperate need of a victory, Manchester United. Remember, they've lost their first two games. They will host Copenhagen. It'll be an emotional occasion at Old Trafford. First home game since Sir Bobby Charlton passed away this past weekend, so I'm sure there'll be all sorts of signs and moment of silence and ceremonies, etc. Well-deserved for probably the greatest player in club history. Yeah, I mean, they, are, they did it this past weekend, and I think, like you said, they will continue to do it, and it's completely fitting for someone that transcended the game uh, and transcended, uh, you know, generations. And so even... Fans that didn't see him play, they felt his presence and they felt his impact on the game and the reverence that you are seeing coming out. Not everybody, not everybody gets that. And so as a player, and then maybe even more so as just a person, the stories that just continue to come out about how humble he was, um, but also what a kind of powerful force he was not just for the game but for the country and for uh 
and for people out there. And so they will continue to do that. All right. Uh, Champions League preview. Yes. And then also on Tuesday, PSV away to Lons. Uh, none of the three Americans uh, started this past weekend. We'll see what that means for the Champions League. Uh, Tillman, Pepe, and Dest. Uh, PSV heading to France. PSV heading to France. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe, like I said, maybe we're we're resting some Americans. Be- beyond the Americans, I don't there's, I don't have much else to say about that game. So we'll see if they play, they start, etc. Uh, then Wednesday, uh, PSG hosting AC Milan. Uh, Pulisic should be rested. He only played about forty minutes. Hey, now there you go. That's one way to look <laughs> at it. Glass half full. Yeah, absolutely. So, and uh, you know, maybe this is well from a PSG perspective. We know of all the. The change, not that it's the change in personnel, but maybe even the change of change of thinking. So I just, I still think Milan going to going to Paris, they're going to have their hands full. You look at this as Pulisic versus Mbappe. If, uh, obviously, get the graphic going. I mean, yeah. put it up. <laughs> and then also in that same group, which is the group of death, Newcastle will host Dortmund. Uh, as we talked about, Gio, he's, it's been ramping up, and I don't know, maybe he'll pop up in the starting lineup for this game. Uh. Gosh, I hope. I hope he gets the start, and I hope he just continues on this. And I also hope, and this is always a concern with Gio, that he just he stays healthy and there's there's nothing happening. I, you know, watching that Ronaldo video of all the work to get back on the field, and then just they have the footage of him turning and the uh, the tendon popping, and you can even see it rotate on underneath his skin, and him screaming in pain. Just just stay stay healthy, stay healthy, Gio, and all players out there. One last totally miscellaneous thing. Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned on this pod that the UK-Ireland bid was going to win hosting rights for Euro 2028. That did, in fact, happen. Sean Sullivan has put that in the rundown multiple times since then, and I forgot to mention it. Uh, but I guess the segue would be we have some games taking place in, in England uh, <laughs> this week in the Champions League. But yes, uh, Euro 2020, which is a tournament we have, it is officially confirmed it will be UK and Ireland, so that means England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Republic of Ireland. And then uh, the next one, 2032, will be Turkey and Italy. Nice. Nice. Uh, if we're doing random things here, by the way, because I know that there's, there is a, I guess, a, a discussion to be had. We're not going to have it here, but Ajax is in free fall. All right, 17th place. They just fired, uh, this is coming down right now here. Uh, he fire, uh, fired the manager, no longer head coach. Uh, club confirms. And they are in 17th place at this point. So uh, once, once great, not so great right now. We'll see if they can uh, climb back. Eric Ten Hag might soon be available right. for a return. Hey now, oh, look at you, <laughs> look at you. All right, listen, uh, let's take another quick break and we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back, it's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your questions, comments, concerns, and uh, you can send them in on the social media platforms out there. Keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. Uh, Mossy, what do the folks want to hear on this show? Uh, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Luke from Atlanta. I have a question for Alexi. Alexi, I remember in a Fox TikTok video before last World Cup, um, you were asked the question, Messi or Ronaldo? And you said Ronaldo. I wonder if after the World Cup and what Messi has done in the U.S. since, especially with League's Cup, um, have you changed your mind? Uh, that's my question. And thanks, guys. Love your podcast. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
Okay, thank you, Luke, from Atlanta. Uh, yes, the evergreen Messi versus Ronaldo debate. I have weighed in on it at times over the years, and each and every time I have fallen on the side of Ronaldo. Uh, and to Luke's question, has recent events, and certainly the arrival of Messi to MLS and you know lifting a World Cup, changed my view in that if I were asked today, which way would I fall? Luke, uh, no, I have not changed. I still, I guess the kids would say Stan for Ronaldo. I don't know if they say that anymore, but uh, it is Ronaldo over Messi for me. And I know Francis is probably, you know, throwing stuff at her, uh, at her phone right now, but that is how I feel about a player. And look, you may feel completely different. I will say that in the past, sometimes my argument has focused around Ronaldo's um, ability to go multiple places and to have success. And at the time, Messi's complete association with Barcelona, obviously since he's gone to PSG and now what he is doing in MLS. And so that, I think, works in favor, if you will, in terms of wooing me to the Messi side. And I can be wooed. When all is said and done, ultimately, I'm going to fall one way or the other. These are two greats that are still playing. Um, I think as far as the brands, Messi has only been enhanced by his move to MLS. And I don't think that uh, Ronaldo's brand has been enhanced um, with his move to, to Saudi Arabia. Having said that, I, 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 the very thing that I think appeals uh, to many people about Messi is the very thing that doesn't appeal me in that his, I guess, normal, everyday, underwhelming persona and personality. I like big, bold, arrogant personalities in my stars, in my superstars, in my, in my entertainment. And Cristiano Ronaldo obviously has leaned in heavily to that. And there is a larger-than-life aspect to Cristiano Ronaldo that I'm drawn to. And I know at times it can be off-putting to people. I know at times it can be grating. I know at times it is the very reason why they like Messi over Ronaldo. And it's why this constant compare and contrast is so evergreen and has worked so well. Because they occupy statuses of, of, of deities in our game but they have done it in such completely different ways. Um, so there's your answer. Uh, there's your answer, Luke. But who knows? By, when all is said and done, like I said, with Messi and what he is doing in Major League Soccer, who knows? Maybe I could be wooed over to the, uh, the Messi side. It would be the all-time Alexi take if Messi wins MLS Cup and you say, okay, that settles the Messi Ronaldo. <laughs> oh, boy. Just set it up. Just set it up, Mossy. That would be uh, that would be incredible. I want him to win it just so I can uh, just so I can do that. All right, good good question, Luke. Thanks for uh, thanks for the call. What else? Uh, next up, our good friend Rally Mullet had a had a bizarre rambling contribution recently to a uh, X Spaces, but we still love him. Um, <laughs> he asks, 
Uh, when will the U.S. men's national team wear these again? And the these that he's referring Ooh, to yeah, okay. are the denim kits. Yeah, so for, for you youngins out there, way back in the previous century, back in the 1900s, uh, your U.S. men's national team walked on the field in the summer of 1994 for the World Cup, a World Cup host in the U.S. Um, loud and proud, shall we say, in terms of the way that we looked, the aesthetic that we had. Uh, they were denim, faux denim tops. They have, at the, in, in the moment, they were looked at a, a little askew. But they have since become iconic, and they have since become incredibly valuable. So much so that there are folks like Rally and others that are dying for the return of these. Uh, an homage, if you will, to 2026. And if there is anything relative to the denim, faux denim, whatever you want to call it, aesthetic, it will have to be an homage because back then the United States Soccer Federation uh, was sponsored by Adidas. Adidas designed them. Adidas put them up. And uh, there's my bobblehead version or my keychain version of, of that. You could not get any more American if you tried. I loved every minute of it. Uh, and to this day, it makes me incredibly happy and proud that it is lived long because so many other designs have just faded off and faded off very, very quickly. This one has remained. I would love nothing more than these two behemoths of Adidas and Nike to somehow come to some agreement, some accord where they can produce something that is an homage. I fear that from a business perspective, they're not going to see that as something that is viable. And so that will not happen. Uh, doesn't stop and preclude uh, Nike from doing something incredibly American in 2026 in terms of the way that they look, but I would not hold my breath. And from an Adidas perspective, you know, they see 2026 coming along and they may look at it as an opportunity, but I don't know what the legal situation is. I just, I would love, and both Adidas and Nike could kind of benefit from it and find a way if, if they wanted to, in this day and age where we are so separate and we, are, and we lack any type of unity, for them to maybe lead the way and say, you know what, for the sake of America, for the sake of this World Cup, for the sake of this game, we are going to do something, something that's never been done before. And even though you are Nike and you have you know, the right to to put out whatever it is that you're going to put out in 2026. This was so iconic and we're going to recognize the past and we're going to incorporate it some way. And we're even going to go to Adidas <clears throat> and in a kumbaya type of moment, in a moment that is so rare today where people come together and unite, we are going to do that from a business perspective and hope that that translates into the country and to the fandom and everything that's going on and make a bunch of money. But like I said, don't hold your breath. So uh, until, until then, you're just going to have to deal with the, uh, the replicas that are out there. And who knows, maybe Adidas will do something uh, going forward into 2026. Anything else, Mossy? I think we're doing okay on time. Can I introduce a bonus yes, uh, yes, yes. topic here? Yes. Uh, college football related. Did you oh. see this exchange on X between 
Emmanuel Atcho and Stu Holden, two of our Fox Sports colleagues. Colleagues, friends, yeah. people in the house. Yes. So What's the, going on? The context yelling? here is USC lost again. The, uh, uh, the Trojans of USC. Yes. In American football, college football. Right. They lost to who? Utah. The Utah, whatever they are. Okay. Um, and their, their star quarterback, Caleb Williams, um, suffers another defeat here. He came into USC the season star with, quarterback. Yeah. Big okay. expectations. He's going to be very highly drafted in the okay. NFL draft. So Emmanuel Atro said after this loss with national championship hopes gone, Caleb Williams should consider sitting out the rest of the season. The Heisman is a long shot. Uh, college football playoffs are even less likely and he won't play in the bowl game. The risk of playing far outweighs the reward business decision. Wow. So then Stu Holden angrily replied, LOL, question mark. Why even play the game at all? What <laughs> message does that send to Williams and the next generation that you can quit on your team whenever you want if you're the quote-unquote best player? Wholeheartedly disagree with this take. Setting him up for failure if you do that. And Taylor Tolman then agreed with Stu. So, wow. raging debate. Wow. This has become a growing trend okay. of college football players that are going to get drafted um, very high. Once their, their last season in college, once their team isn't going to achieve their goals and they feel like they have nothing left to gain, they, they are starting to sit out uh, games and that's become very controversial. Uh, so but Caleb Williams, another example here. Don't, don't they get paid now? Uh, don't, NIL. So, yeah. so I don't know how that would affect so his NIL. That's actually, their, uh, a, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Like, I, I, if I'm paying you as a college athlete, I'm paying you for your name and likeness. No, but it's relative to you actually being on the field and doing things. Now, I, I don't know how much it's like to your point. It, not only will it probably not affect where he gets drafted, but you're protecting that asset. So I, I get it from a long-term play. I just think it stinks. And I think it's, um, I think it's weak. I think it's weak from the player. And well, he hasn't done this yet. This is Emmanuel Atro suggesting it. So we'll see if he follows through on it. Yeah. But so what's the point then? No. All right. I mean, look, if, yeah, I I I agree with with Stu that you know the message that it sends is horrible. And if I'm I don't know, I don't know, maybe if I'm drafting a player it's holistic, right? I need to know who this player is as a person, how they think, what they do. And who knows, maybe there are teams that say, "You know what? I want this player because this player is able to see long-term. This a player is able to assess risk-reward. Or there might be some team that says, you know what? I want a player that doesn't run. I want a player that says, you know what? I am going to risk for you because you have believed in me. And in essence, that's what it is, right? I know people, uh, the college athletes are getting paid right now. But ultimately, they have taken an opportunity that has been afforded to them and them alone because of their athletic ability. And in doing so, they have taken that spot from somebody else that doesn't have that athletic ability. And they have taken it at an educational institution. And I think that there is, and there should be, a recognition of responsibility that college athletes have for taking that spot and agreeing to play for that university, but it shouldn't even be playing for the going to that university and studying at that university and getting in return, whether it's money, but also uh, an education. So yeah, that dude better play.
Now, I don't want to be accused of ducking this. Do you know what the biggest story in the college football world was this past week? Uh... Did Prime lose again, or did no. they win? Uh, Michigan is embroiled in another scandal. Oh, what a surprise! This is—it's it's hard. It's hard to keep track. This is different than the other <laughs> uh, NCAA investigation that resulted in Jim Harbaugh being suspended earlier this season. We've now been accused of illegally stealing other teams' signals. Ooh, cheating. Yes. Okay. Just want to um, make sure you guys don't up there at, uh, in uh, Ann Arbor. You don't call it something different, right? It's right. a euphemism. Uh, the New York Post had a. Because, you know, Michigan, their big the hail to the victors, that their big headline was hail to the cheaters. Right. I mean, yeah. it's cheating. Let's, I'm let's curious to get I'm curious to get Jack's take on it. Our, our good friend Jack, <laughs> who works in the pod, big Michigan fan. But you have none of your players that are going to sit out lest they hurt themselves and, are, and, and, and hurt their opportunities going forward, right? Well, not to... We actually had a case, uh, an Orange Bowl, several years ago where a kid, Jabril Peppers, uh, claimed to have an injury and he sat out for that reason and Michigan fans didn't believe it and thought he was just sitting out to not hurt his draft stock. And then another player, Jake Butt, chose to play, picked up a serious injury that affected his draft stock. So he, that's actually held up as the cautionary tale of why you should think about sitting out. So it, it is a raging debate that's been going on for years. All right, whatever. My uh, Nobody's sitting out in my Rutgers Scarlet Knights. They're playing every game, uh, yeah. every single snap. Also, um, my Lions, by the way, uh, we, we suffered a defeat. Yes. But you know what? Sometimes you need a little kick in the ass to remind everybody that, hey, you, you know, you're, you're, you know what does stink too. And so maybe this was the kick that they needed going forward. And congrats to your wife, Ohio State. Big win over Penn big win. State. Big so win. She was very happy. Yes. So I had the I had the yin and the yang. The yes, everything's great over here when she's watching Ohio State. And the F-bombs flying all over the place right. when the Lions. And she didn't even wait like till the second quarter. She said it was, she, it was done and dusted. It was, uh, it was all over. All right, anything else? No, we have blown up the time eh, of this it's podcast. It's all right, whatever. It's okay. No. It's all right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will wrap this up uh, with my uh, one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road. Um, I was thinking about a bunch of different things, Mossy, but I think we've come down to one here that we want to talk about. And I do want to get your uh, response to here. But uh, um, you, what, what we call them logos, we can call them brands, we can call them crests, right? We had a new one, huh? Yes, yeah, San Diego, which is set to become the 30th MLS team. They revealed their name, crest, and branding. And as always, you have thoughts on this. So for those of you watching us, uh, you can see the uh, logo right there. Okay. Well, we in American soccer, there's nothing we love more than a, a branding or a rebranding uh, at times too. And, and it is fun. And having been involved in the Galaxy rebranding years ago, uh, I, I know what goes into it. A couple of things. One, when you rebrand or brand in this case uh, and introduce your brand to the market you're never going to please everyone all right in uh, in that brand launch there are always going to be people that hate it uh, or just don't like it and in this day and age where everybody has a microphone and a platform bullhorn whatever you want to call it you will hear from all of those people two um if you need the ubiquitous brand explainers that come with these uh, launches and these these brands, then I think it it may be a problem. I've told you before that, um, you know, having been involved, every little line, every color, and every decision has a PowerPoint slide and an ex- explanation as to what it is or what it isn't. Another thing, there is a fine line bec- between being clean and being boring, and. That's where I think that this San Diego logo kind of gets into it, where 
there's a lot of people that say, you know, what is it? Is it, uh, you know, is it a drain? Is it a, um, uh, you know, a, a stargate or something like that? Uh, it's also very simple. I, I, I like that, but is it ultimately boring? And so it got me thinking about all of the different logos over the year. And you can see here, we've, we put up all of them, all 30 that now exist. Obviously, this logo is going to, at least for now, be the one that's going to exist uh, two years from now when they uh, kick off in 2000 and 2005. Keep in mind also, Mossy, that we have seen in MLS where they have come out with a crest. The backlash has been so vociferous that they have actually gone back and changed it. So in this case, I mean, I don't think it's bad enough where that's ultimately going to happen. But the other thing is it got me thinking about logos in MLS. And, you know, I, I, I smell a power ranking when it comes to this, maybe in the future here. But I did some quick calculations. 16 FCs, football clubs. Three SCs, soccer clubs. Three Uniteds. Uh, four cities. One Real, one Sporting, one Dynamo, one Inter. Ten, shall we shall we say non-traditional soccer names, five MLS 96 OG original names, only one name uh, that is an animal, two that are American historical, six that are natural and geographical, fire, earthquake, that type of thing, one that is space-themed, and then one that is, I guess, uniquely random. That would be the Columbus crew in that it's, it's just the crew. There's no real historical reference. Uh, there's no real tradition when it comes to that. It doesn't really mean anything or associate. I know they had you know construction and hardworking and middle America and all that kind of stuff. But that is the one, I guess, uniquely random uh, ones. And as I've said time and time again, let's say 15 years ago, there was a real effort to appeal to soccer fans in the United States that watch soccer around the world and look down on MLS and to make it more credible and to make it more authentic. And that's why you have these FCs and, and SCs going forward. But, you know, it's always, it's always fun to see the reaction. Ultimately, I think it's going to be fine. If they continue on with this, it's going to be fine. I'm excited about what San Diego is going to be. Rest in peace, the loyal. They just went out and they are done now and what they did. And they're almost kind of handing it off to what hopefully is going to be a much bigger and better version of men's professional soccer in San Diego, a market that has long been empty from an MLS perspective and one that I think that they have coveted over the years, but just haven't found the right thing. And so hopefully this is the right thing, but this is what they are ultimately going to look at. And in the power rankings, if you will, of where this new San Diego team logo rests, it, it's not up there. But who knows? Like a lot of things, it can grow on you. You figured this out yourself? I did. So I, I, I caveat it at the beginning saying just quick calculations. So I know there's somebody out there that's going to say, well, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do this. And maybe it's uh, this. But you know, when I talk about you know, what, what they are, 
Now, they, it doesn't mean they don't have mascots. It doesn't mean they don't have unofficial names. But just in terms of the actual names of the teams, that's where this uh, ultimately comes down to in terms of this, the data. The 16 FC must drive you crazy. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's lame. I think it's pandering. I get why you, know, you want to be global. And I'm sure that there are people that were paid to say, hey, this is the direction that you need to go in. But again, I just, it, it, is, it is our league. And I think it should reflect the fact that while we think globally, we act locally. And in doing so, I just think that it, it comes across as, like I said, needy and pandering in the way that we uh that we do it but doesn't mean i don't like the teens doesn't mean i don't have, enjoy it and i don't think it has that much big of a difference i remember there was a time when i was writing for rob stone and kate abdo oh, yeah. jumping back and forth between the two and i had to remember for one to write football for the other soccer for one to write pitch the other field this larger debate about using the british terms i find fascinating i remember i was watching once uh with an american friend who was not a big soccer fan i was watching some game and the announcer said three zero and my friend turned to me and said, isn't it 3 nil?" And I had to explain, that's just an expression. That's right. not the right way to say it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and again, uh, we could go on and on about <laughs> our insecurity and our inferiority complex. And I just think that as we get older and better, we can start to do away with all that. We don't, you know, we, we can stand on our own. We're like Dumbo. We don't need that feather. You can fly, Dumbo. You're going to be just fine. American soccer is Dumbo. There we go. There's one to leave you with. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right. Thank you to everybody that uh, has sent in uh, comments, questions, and concerns. Thank uh, for the folks that are using the voicemail out there, 657-549-2297, or ask Alexia on all the social media platforms out there. Keep reviewing and downloading and rating and uh, subscribing and doing all the different things that you do. However you get this podcast, whether it's on your traditional platforms or any place else out there, whether you're watching it, whether you're listening to it. Uh, we're so happy and um, grateful that so many people are. We will talk to you again, like I said, later on this week. We have MLS playoffs starting off with the uh, wild card games, and we will come to you after that. And obviously, Champions League and all sorts of stuff that is going on. So enjoy your soccer, my friends. And until then, and as always, size the day.